exciting new spectacle of the splendor and savagery of ancient Rome. History's most bloodthirsty entertainment was pursued by the Romans who taught the world how to fight. They enslaved the most sensuous women to titillate the perverted pleasures of the Roman public. Pam Greer, defiant and untamed. I am a Maui. <laughs> Margaret Markov, determined and proud. Stop! I am Bodisha. Unchained wild women. Their beautiful bodies shaped into superb fighting equipment in the arena. Those are Roman citizens. They own the world. Romans are pigs. Women stripped of their dignity, piece by piece. The Romans have taught you to live like an animal. <laughs> the Romans called it sport. But the arena was an orgy factory, spewing forth untamed desires and violence. They live as slaves, fight as gladiators, and love on command. Come to see the women fight! Gladiator women who live, fight, and kill to please the blood-howling mobs. We who are about to die? Salute you. <gasps> Proud, defiant, and ready to kill for freedom. What kind of men put women into the arena? Bloody and barbaric, corrupt and sensuous, the ultimate spectator sports in the arena. We all fear. That's what they want. Men should fight and die. Seems natural. Savage fighters sold into an orgy of Roman pleasures. But the women. He'll free the winner. The price of freedom in the arena. One of them must die. Only the loser will be free. Driven by fear, consumed by hatred. Desperate to be free. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. I'm going to be free my way. Black slave, white slave, fighting for their lives in the arena. The Arena, from New World Pictures, in Technicolor, rated R. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. Do I look like the kind of guy who wants to watch a movie full of gladiators getting hosed down with water? Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. What? Is this idiocy? In Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me! Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder, and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools, but I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth that 
They form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration, or you study grindhouse movies at my feet now! Choose! Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch and will summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get to the... Now go! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. The Honeywell Experiment! Virginia, summon the subject! State your name! Uh-huh! Well, whoa! I like this toga. It's comfortable. Uh, do you? Does this? T wow! This is like Spartacus. T wow! Teddy Roosevelt. Virginia, I'm sorry. I just don't buy him as being Teddy Roosevelt. Maybe you gave him a bigger stick. Why is Teddy Roosevelt here too? What did he do? Did he even live long enough to misconstrue genre movies? <laughs> now, now, all will be revealed in good time. This phase is confusing me. <laughs> Although it is kind of awesome. Well, I don't know. I think I gave you a very straightforward film this time. Yeah. Yeah, I figured this one out. <laughs> yes. There were two reasons why this film got made in many shapes and sizes. Yes, and and yes, <laughs> rolling around, being covered in water, mm -hmm. barely being contained by the very thin cotton of their quote-unquote gladiator uniform, heaving against bodices, yes, yes metal bodices, but with oh, chest plates. <laughs> anyway, so we are talking today about 1974's Roger Corman produced. Uh, Pam Greer, Margaret Markov starring vehicle, the follow-up to Black Mama, White Mama, The Arena, which is pretty unique. Both as a sword and sandal film and as a woman in prison film, because that's what this is. Oh, yeah. Oh, right down to right down to the humiliating uh, opening yeah. hose down in the shower. Mm-hmm. Which somehow becomes more humiliating in Roman times with chicken feathers flying everywhere. Yes. Ah, this this is just this was this was supposed to star other people, but because Black Mama White Mama was such a hit here in the States, um Corman asked that, that Pam Greer and Margaret Markoff be cast. 
instead. Because, you know, apparently they had a, a chemistry. It seemed to work. Even if Margaret Markoff looks like she's not all there throughout most of the film. No, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering I about... Because her, her future husband is working on the film as well. That, that they were forbidden to date while the film was being made. So, um... By but, the tribunal, I guess. Yeah, it, it was the director just uh, prevented them from said prohibited dating because um, he felt it would produce potentially bad feelings yeah. on that. Yeah, he <laughs> he may have had bad experiences with that in the past. It's, yeah, <laughs> it sounds very likely. So, um, and you know, this is of course a, a historically accurate film when you realize Margaret Markov's character is named Bodisha. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, all the names are just so, like, just scream historical accuracy. Oh, no, I find it hilarious, because you know who Bodisha is, right? No, I don't. Oh, you're not? Okay, I thought you were. I thought you were. Bodisha, the, it was the warrior queen of the Irene, a Celtic, um, a Celtic tribe that fought the Britons during the, uh, sorry, fought the, the Romans during the occupation of Britain. Oh, and um, she's like something of like a national hero. So is this supposed to be her or just someone named? I don't know. The fact that she keeps calling herself Bodisha of the Brittany. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Makes me think that that the person knew. So she's like a she's like a superhero cameo, not even a cameo. They brought in a, a real superhero for it. It's like yeah, basically, basically it's like having John Henry in it or something. Yeah. Um, but the Bodicia, like I said, I mean, there's actually a statue, a famous statue in London proper of her. Um, and evidently the writers who were the husband and wife team of john william and joyce hooper corrington uh probably didn't know much about bodicia when they made this when they wrote this film but that jumped out at me right away <laughs> yeah it's it's not a historical drama she's just there doing her yeah. <laughs> doing her thing doing her druid thing and uh and i gotta say if you're somebody who's like really up on roman history and you're watching that movie you probably you probably have tapped out before (laughs) the historical accuracy of bodicea yes well well i i think that even before she uh, margaret markoff announces she's bodicea i think uh lucretia love uh calls herself Deidre, and I don't think Deidre was a Roman name. No, it doesn't sound very Roman. It doesn't sound very Roman, and it sounds more Playboy and penthousey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's a bit there's a bit of Bob Guccione drizzled it, over this. <laughs> and it just it opens with uh, Margaret and with Bodicia celebrating something druidic we're not quite sure what and then romans show up and they kill a bunch of people and they take bodicia away 
Then we have a totally historically accurate African tribal dance party with Pam. It's Greer. lit, man. It's like Kid and Play should have been there. <laughs> yes, I know. And, and Pam Greer playing Mamawi. Uh, and the Romans just show up and they kill everybody and they take Pam Greer away. <laughs> oh, this is. This is, but you're, but as I said, this is a, a, a women in prison film. Without a doubt, this yep. was women in prison films are kind of kind of peaked already by this time. So they figured if they made it a historical, it might put some liveliness into the film. They, yeah, yeah. And, and I, well, I think just from the setting and everything, mm-hmm. it makes it more lively because it just makes it it's 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 seedier. You know, a prison, at least, you know, you, well, a woman in prison film. OK, the prison, the, the warden, you know, you're going to have your corrupt warden and your and your, you know, super butch, you know, warden well, you, of the yeah. women and all that. But well, you do have um, a corrupt warden, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he's I sort of a, have a, a butch. Uh, we have we have a female guard, so to speak, but not a butch one. She's more Amazonian than than yeah. butch, but yeah, it doesn't have this one doesn't have as much lesbian subtext as a lot of the the women in in prison movies have. But mm-hmm. like, you know, the 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 warden in this one, you know, yeah. this is this like is this Rob is more Ryan like does. it's more like sallow or something, yeah. you know. Where it's, you know, the warden is throwing orgies, you know, bacchanalials with the whole town there, you know, with all the the upper crust of the whole town there. Mm -hmm. It's not just like this sort of like rogue unit where he's like getting his jollies and exploiting the the prisoners. This is just, you know, Roman Roman life. Right. And and I think it conveys to a good sense the sort of. um there's a layer of, you know, the acceptance of it that time. That's life. Sometimes sometimes if you're not lucky, you end up as a slave and you just sort of roll with it. Although it does try to, you, you know, put some 70s, you know, feminism class struggle yeah. stuff in there. But this is a Roger Corman movie, so <laughs> it ain't so bring exactly on the super deep. Yes. The feminism stuff is like it just basically... You know the the you know the, the some of the women persevere at the end, but like as as like like if I was to put bring this to a women's study <laughs> um, <laughs> class, they they would not be going like ooh this is some early proto feminist film here. They would be like well it's sort of trying, to, but it's more in maybe a a way to sort of like make all the boobs a little better or something (laughs) you know (laughs) just something to give it some some uh some social importance so it's not porn (laughs) although it's you know this doesn't go that far this is just nudie stuff but you can't go wrong with pam greer nude boy oh boy it shocks me that this is the first time we've ever had pam greer on the show so to speak so yeah, so it's the first, uh, the first Pam Greer, which is kind of surprising given that Pam Greer is 
one of the true queens of the grindhouse. To me, I will always, I will never forget the the awesome refrain that was used in a lot of Pam Greer's black exploitation films in the seventies in the trailers. Men never fear. Pam Greer is here. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. <laughs> this stuff, they used it in coffee. They used it in Foxy Brown. They used it. I mean, for for the trailers, all of her. Tra- they used that line, and I thought that was so so hilarious. Yeah, before I ever saw a Pam Greer movie, I had the I had the man. I just I hate I love remembering this, but I hate remembering it because I'd love to know where all those posters went. Uh, but but over my bed in my room. Mm-hmm. was the coffee post was a you know giant coffee poster and i was just like how so, i wish we had posters like that she's so beautiful yes yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she is i everybody loves pam greer even uh even quentin tarantino he wrote a whole movie in love that's basically a love letter to her yeah one of my favorite of his uh, movies yeah, too my favorite of his movies actually so um but anyway, yeah, so you have Pam Greer. Margaret Markoff is not as well-known, but, like I said, Black Mama, White Mama was a big hit. You, you know who I thought was great in this movie? Who? Rob Mar- Rob Reiner is uh, to Marcus. Yes! Meathead made a great Roman. Yes! <laughs> Most of the, the, the actors outside of the, the, the four or five major leads are Italian. I mean, this would be if this guy was Rob Reiner. He's Rob Reiner, yeah. who's gone through a time machine now yeah. to 1974, or 75. Is it what? What are those yeah. years? But this, yeah, uh, 74. This, he would. Uh, the actor's name was Vasily Karras, who played Marcus. And but yes, I thought the same thing when I saw him on screen. Man, <laughs> what's Rob Reiner doing? What's he doing here? Um. And also, I did not know there were gay stereotypes in ancient Rome. Oh, yeah, they they uh, they handled the LGBTQ um, angle of this movie very delicately. Oh yes, I mean they. Could you at least not call him Priscium? This a total Mel Brooks history of the world part one name to get. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, he reminds me, actually, of the character in History of the World, mm-hmm. Part 1, who follows Zimbabwe going, Remember thou art mortal. Remember <laughs> thou art mortal. Oh, oh, you <laughs> <laughs> And then he turns into C-3PO. Oh, my. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's... <laughs> oh, boy. And, but, but let's be honest, most people who went to see this wasn't, weren't, wasn't there, weren't there for the story. They were there to see Markov and Greer and, to a lesser extent, Lucretia Love in fetishy gladiator gear. I loved, by the way, I do, did love Lucretia Love as, as Deidre. I thought for the most part all the uh, all the acting in this was, was fairly entertaining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Various levels of good, but always fairly entertaining. Right. Um, 
But I love the fact that Deidre, who's drunk all the time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I love the fact she gets to do uh, an Errol Flynn bit in the climax, where she's drinking the, be- the, the wine while beating some guy down with a sword. Well, I love how it starts out um, with that, like, I expected this movie to be like they captured some warrior women mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. But then it turns into like sort of like this bad news bears private Benjamin <laughs> thing going on but where, you know, they're, they're out there like, OK, let's have a shot of the first try at the girls first try it <laughs> gladiator school. And it's and, you know, and they're like holding their nets by their fingers yeah. and just like, ew, and just like <laughs> sort of like slap fighting each other and stuff. Right. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they do, they do to varying degrees uh, um, leather up by the end of it. Not, yeah. not, not, not that Pam Greer really has to leather up too oh, much. No, but, but, Oh my God! That or, bodice that she's wearing. Which yeah. I think its only purpose was to say, "Hey, look, she got really biggest breasts." There's literally, I, I mean, when when they bring her out in the party and they're like, "And we've we've, yeah. we've brought the and the black girl," or they just call her the black. They refer yeah. to anybody who's black as the black. And, you know, we brought her because she's a great dancer and she comes out. She has to sort of duck down to get out of her her cage. And so her head comes out and then her boobs come out. And the camera, of course, is like catch it is like on the boobs, you know. Right. And the second the boobs dip out from under the cage, you could hear the whole audience go. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this this director and and uh sound director you know well, they they they, knew, they, they knew they they yeah they knew where uh they knew where that where their audience's heads were at heads name were. the people responsible the director's name was steve carver so i don't know if he did anything else special but um steve carver let's take a look at what he did i could he did I the was... wolf mcquade oh, oh really yeah, that makes sense. That I could see Lone Wolf McQuaid is right about in the same budgetary mm-hmm. area as this. This, this, I mean, this is like it's 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 funny because you don't think of mm-hmm. sword and sandals movies as low budget because right. you know you have to you have to recreate at least some slice of ancient Rome. And ancient Rome was huge and had its whole, you know, look and functionality and the buildings are different and stuff like that. And I thought they did a good job mm-hmm. of keeping it on the small scale. You know, this was just a this wasn't, you know, like Rome where you have huge Colosseum fights and stuff. This was just a little, you know, little area where the local sort of thing. So everything was smaller. It still ends up looking a little lower budget than say like life of Brian, you know, there's a very life of Brian vibe about it. It was supposed to be shot in Israel originally, but they ended up shooting it in Spain. Like a lot of these sword and sandal epics and a lot of these, uh, spaghetti Westerns. And it kind of looks it, but, um, Oh man. 
it's just enough. It's just enough to just just pull it off enough to get what they got to get done done, you know, and uh, and it works. You know, as far as a director goes, I'd say he's a workmanlike director. There's nothing, you know, the the shots are nice and and everything, but yeah, it's it's not his vision that's uh, <laughs> carrying it through. Yeah. What's funny is I was uh, I was looking for some clips from the movie today, and when I yeah. tracked this movie down, I was having a hard time. I don't have a DVD player, so like right. I I have a friend who's an obsessive DVD collector, and so, and I used to be able to be like, oh, you know, if if I absolutely couldn't find something, he probably had it. But uh, like I don't like I somewhere in a box is a DVD player that I could find. Right. So I, I'm I'm looking for it streaming on YouTube, and I found it. And it's in English, but it has some other language very loudly dubbed on top of it or translating oh, on top of it. So it's unwatchable. Mm-hmm. And I, I ended up tracking it down and finding it on, you know, well, I, did... it's on a, I think I mentioned it to you when I assigned it to you. That's on Screen Factory TV right now. Oh, I ended up I ended up going to xhamster.com, a porn movie site. A porn movie site, and they had the full movie streaming on it, and, and that's when I learned that the porn sites have a lot of just yes. exploitation movies streaming on them because because nobody finds them there or whatever, and the, and they have nudity in them, and they, this has I this definitely has fetish potential for people yeah. who want to see women fighting in gladiatorial outfits and then see their boobies. Yeah. So. It's got all that. It's even got sex in it, except sex in in it's oh, so exploitation cool. movie sex where two yeah. people get naked, and then they, they hug and then they roll. Each other. Yeah, yeah they hug and roll. <laughs> <laughs> it's a World War Two. You, you know, it's it's very similar to putting yourself out if you're on fire. Yes. Yes. Stop. Drop and roll. <laughs> or maybe this should be drop, drop and roll. Drop your clothes drop to the floor and roll around mm-hmm. and and another way that they doctor it up to make it look a little more interesting is they just throw chickens everywhere yeah yeah everywhere there's chickens <laughs> i was surprised there weren't any like lark's tongue or any of the other like kind of like really gross stuff that the Ro- ancient romans used to eat yeah yeah no chilled monkey brains no no none of that stuff um, no, they, 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 they did a little bit of the Roman, you know, over the top Caligula-ness, but yeah. it's... No vomitorium either. No, no, they could have, I, I, I don't know if they, I, I don't know why they didn't, because, you know, the more grotesque you make all those guys, the more fun it is to see them all get, get, uh, strung up at the end, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, I mean, I mean, I think they did some fine math in those days of like okay well if we want to show and this one's got some full frontal nudity in it too so that's a little above and beyond for for, the first 15 minutes right right stripped yeah full frontal although i don't think Deidre really required much prompting you know they used to i mean in the women in prison movies they they had they had um steamed uh (laughs) steam and soap bubbles to 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 draw their limits on nudity but i think i think maybe they like were like 
you know, they, they didn't want to go over a certain level to, you know, maintain maybe an R rating or, or whatever. And we're like, okay, maybe we'll, we'll uh, back off on the vomitoriums and the, it's not really a gory movie either. You know, the, the violence, a lot of, most really? of the violence is off screen. Just so you see somebody thrust their sword down or something like that. And, and a lot of like, you know, sword thrusts, you know, that sword, the sword thrust through the, the armpit yeah. <laughs> sort of fight, it. fight stuff. Um, it surprised me to learn that these, uh, the, the, the weapons in the film were apparently, um, actually serviceable. Hey. Yeah, because particularly uh, Mamawe's trident did not look very, you know, very real to me. But apparently they were all real. That's dangerous, because even if you have them, like, not sharpened or anything, those things are heavy. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, Pam Greer and Margaret Markoff, bless them, did their own stunts. Yeah, of course they did. <laughs> and you could kind of tell that Margaret Markoff is a little more um, acquainted with stunt work mm -hmm. than her opponents mm -hmm. in, the, in the ring, because she, she does seem to have... As much as this is Pam Greer's film, Margaret Markoff does seem to carry herself in combat well. She's the warrior, you know. Yeah. Pam Pam Greer Pam Greer is like Pam Greer is somebody who pulled the kick ass out in an emergency yeah. and rose to the occasion. Whereas she's where Margaret Markoff is just like you know, from the very beginning she's just like eyeballing everybody going, His head's coming off and his head's <laughs> coming off. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna he's getting it in the gut, <laughs> but they're all getting it eventually. I'll just, I'm just gonna wait here till I get my chance. Oh, and, and we're definitely giving, and I'm definitely gonna give you something special, Lavinia. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Livia. Um, who, of course, is the suck up prisoner. It's got to be one. It's got to be one in everything. And the whole thing about, but I'm a Roman. I'm surprised. Quite frankly, I'm surprised that, uh, what's his name? The, the, that, the trainer, uh, the one who's married to Lucinia. Septimus? Septimus. Deviated, deviated Septimus. <laughs> deviated Septimus. Yes. I'm surprised that, uh, he didn't just, you know, run Livia through right after Lucidia died. Yeah. Yeah, I wondered about that. Played by Pietro Seccarelli. He was he was maybe not one of the stronger actors, but he had no. a look. Well, the thing is, he was a stuntman. Most of yeah. the people who played um, gladiators were Italian stuntmen. Yeah, so, he had... And he has that, that gladiator body of just mm -hmm. like, it looks like a plastic action figure that somebody's yeah. oiled up and, and that weird, you know, that weird top heavy chest, flat chest sticking out thing that looking for the stage door to Eternia. Yes, exactly. But, so, uh, and, and yeah, and, and yeah, and you don't need gladiators to be Al Pacino yeah. anyway. And, and the other thing I, I liked or about even Rob Reiner for that matter. Except, yeah. The other thing I liked about Septimus is there was something kind of charming about him yeah. showing, up, showing up with, like, flowers for his wife. 
Yeah, one. yeah. The, I mean, there were there were little elements of it that that, that I mean, the script was try, trying, and it was, and it also had that thing of like, where, as I was saying earlier, although I'm sure this is not you know <laughs> very strictly historically accurate, mm-hmm. the people in that context of the time didn't think about things the same way we did. I thought right. one of the lines that was tone deaf in historically was uh they were just that um they they referred to one of the the um black guys that gets killed and they oh he was just a black and I'm like I don't right. think that's how they thought back then. I think that's more of a reflection of 1974 mm-hmm. bad guy thinking. But like, you know, the, the the races were different. Like people didn't think of people as much like skin color as like where they were from, mm-hmm. you know, in those days. So that that was a little, you know, uh, but but still the, the, the fact that people were just sort of like living the life of the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it, you're you're in a bad state or you're a slave or you're, you're something. But you still but there's still like. You're, you're treated terribly as a slave, but there's also, like, you can tell there's some people who don't treat you quite terribly or don't yeah. take, or, or are, are not, like, there's some people who like to treat you terribly, but they're the minority, you know, it's mm-hmm. just sort of like how things work in those days, and it's, and, you know, the masters also know that, like, you can't just constantly terrorize your slaves, especially... The ones, you know, the the women at first were going to all have, quote unquote, like useful jobs around the Coliseum before they became gladiators. You know, well, they, of... that was what they were supposed to be until, you know, Marcus in his decadent way said, you know, what would be cool if the ladies fought. Yeah, if the so... ladies, because they're like, how about we have gladiators versus elephants? Do you think that'll work? And and you have all this weird, and then you have all this weird thing like you know they're treated like slaves, but gladiators get an ex have get these extra rights because they're right. gladiators and they're gonna die, mm-hmm. so they get some some extra status and rights and stuff. And so that that part of it was was sort of interesting seeing them all living in that situation situation. Whereas if you had all modern characters, they'd be all just like, you know, I'm not going to get married to somebody. I'm going to get out of here first and <laughs> go live my life somewhere else. But, you know, well, there's always that thing hanging on to that, the hanging over thing, it. that This is it forever. <laughs> the, the whole thing about some, some slaves are, are more equal than others and all that, that mm-hmm. crap is all in keeping with the fact that, that they're trying to, appeal to the, the counterculture and yes. the man kind of uh, attitude yeah. that, that was still kind of pervasive in Grindhouse cinema at the time. And and with Pam Greer's characters too. Yeah. Pam Greer was always, was always like the one who was sticking it to, you know, she was not going to be treated poorly because she was a woman or because she was black. So right. she was going to, to exact revenge. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, you know, that that uh, putting her in this movie automatically makes you think, all right, Pam Greer's going to set up a breakout, you know, <laughs> and never fear. Yeah, Pam Greer is here. I, I like to think of Mamawe as kind of uh, Pam Greer's version of Red Sonia. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but uh, it's I, I love once again, this is one of these films, once again does what it has to do and then gets off the stage it's under 90 minutes and um 
people need to learn brevity these days. It never gets boring. Yeah, never has a chance true. to get boring. Yes, there's always... You get the impression, though, that um, the director or the cinematographer... Because there is a rumor that the cinematographer who was uh, the infamous Joe D'Amato... And this, I think, is the first Joe D'Amato film we've had. Oh, okay. Um, you get the impression that, that um, either Carver or D'Amato just say, Hey, it's five minutes. Time for another movie. Well, yeah, <laughs> there's probably a formula to it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this was this was a di- this was this was long before the Me Too movement. And that's when yeah. a lot of movies are based on the st- the story in the cast are based on who the director would like to uh, order around while they're naked. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, IMDb go through the I- test footage. Yeah, I just want to say IMDb has an erroneous summary of this film because uh margaret markoff is not a viking slave she is a briton like i said she's bodisha which is also surprising because bodisha was a redhead but, yeah that's what i was gonna say the only thing she's missing is red hair yeah that. so um but this is this was i think an interesting kind of weird mashup of two grindhouse um yeah it's a it's a peanut butter cup for sure yeah because it it is it is a women in prison film wrapped around a peplum in fact uh the the woman who plays the um the the slave trainer or whatever her name whatever you would call it uh cornelia uh, is Rosa Rosabelle Neary, who it was famous for appearing in Peplum in the '60s. So and later go, and goes on to uh, to be in some of Joe D'Amato's most uh, different films, shall we say? Yeah, uh, another feature of these movies is also, like, the old lady caretakers. Yeah. These movies are also are great for casting of, like, old lady extras with mm-hmm. no lines who just sort of lead. <laughs> yeah. Wash, hose, hose and mop down the naked young starlets and then lead them around yeah. for the rest <laughs> of the movie. While looking extreme, you know, in Roman times, they're probably all like 50 years old, you know, Yeah. <laughs> but they look like they're like 87. Right. It's just like a casting call for every crone within like 100 miles. Yeah, so this is this is fun. It's. Basically says what it does on the tin. Want to see women? Want to see them fight? Yep, here you go. They're just pretending to be Romans, that's all. Fine with me. Hey, yeah. It, uh-huh. You know what? It ages better. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, because it's a period piece, and the, the black exploitation movies were... Although now they, I guess, if you made one now set in that time, they'd be a period piece. Like, um, well, they are. Oh, people forget that films made in the past are period pieces now. Yes. Okay. I mean, like Black Mama, we referred to Black Mama, White Mama, a uh, number of times. 
um, in Black Mama, White Mama, Margaret Markoff is a revolutionary who's obviously based on um, Patty Hearst. Well, and that I, would I, probably I, age. What I think ages a film isn't, let's say, being of its time as much as making specific references to things that are only relevant to that time. Which is why I think so many of today's films are going to age horribly. When, you know... You'll notice I mean, we've run into a problem already with technology going so fast that that like you can you can look at a movie and go like, oh, that movie is like 2008 just by the phones that people yeah. have, you know, or 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 what social media thing they're talking about or, or right. whatever. But I guess what I'm thinking, like, that, like back in like the 60s and the 50s, they didn't make a big deal out of their phones. They just were there. Yeah, well, they were a different thing. They weren't on people. They they yeah. they also weren't like uh, basically, you know, a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, sort of that's thing true too. And 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 there, uh, but the phone was still the the phone was still you know uh, had its own movie language. Yeah. You know, and you know, um, you know, sometimes you'd have the split screen when someone called, but uh, and a phone would always could always be an element or someone goes to call the police and it's like the lines have been cut you know and all that but uh i think like black exploitation movies like something like coffee or something like that mm -hmm. the thing about them was when they were made they were made like they weren't made as a slice of life at right. that time they were they were they were an uh, exhibition almost they were an exaggeration right. And uh, just a sort of almost like a portrayal of what it wasn't like. It was almost like a lot of times, uh, you know, they always portrayed, you know, the gritty. But that was also part of a tropiness of it. Like, yeah. you know, where you know, it was set down with the drug dealers, but they have a heart of gold and, but you the know, they're fighting they're for the community jokes. and the cops are corrupt and all that. And but they're not making jokes about Eldridge Cleaver. And, right, right, right. You know. They're not making specific references that are specific to the year that they were made. Yeah. Um, that's one of the reasons why Coffee is so great as a film, because even though it, it you know, it is a very 70s film, it doesn't have to be 70s. Yeah. You can watch it from the point of view of now has a period piece and not be turned off by it. Whereas I, I can't imagine... Uh, some of these comedies that have been made today. Um, I can't imagine things like the Emoji Movie being seen as anything but antiquated in about five years. Right. Well, they're also yeah, they're just they're they're made. A, a lot of movies are just especially in a lot of the remake movies, like the remake of say RoboCop. They yeah. just they pop up. They they make their money back in the theater, make a little profit, and then they go away. They don't like. I'll I'll see DVDs of them at people's garage sales or, so, or yeah. something, but people aren't like, ooh, you know, people aren't going out and getting the Blu-ray of the RoboCop remix. I mean, or remake. Some people are. Somebody right. is, and and then proudly putting it on their shelf, going, ah, my RoboCop collection is is yeah, complete. It's there. The, but I also think about though, you know, and we complain about 
you know, a lot of disposable movies being made. But I mm-hmm. think in back in the day, there were a lot of disposable and garbage and half-assed movies made that just they just disappeared. They weren't bad enough to be, mem- you know, just like the RoboCop remake. They're not right. bad enough to, to be revisitable out of humor or they're made because of the name value of the title yeah yeah and it's and they have a shelf life of months literally and Um, and that's why they come out on dvd like a month later it's why i'm surprised we have not seen somebody decide to try to do a coffee remake or a foxy brown remake um because those are recognizable names i mean like i wouldn't mind them even just doing a sequel because pam greer is up for the te- well pam greer's 20 oh. years older than she was in jackie brown but yeah you know what I would like i'm is- surprised they hadn't especially right after jackie brown they didn't just say you know maybe she wasn't into it yeah one of my dream projects if i ever became a director would be to do um a foxy brown sequel with pam greer as the original foxy brown her daughter played by Jajira P. Henson and her granddaughter played by Tessa Thompson and the, uh, the kick ass in it has been cast down from generation to generation. Yeah, I would be 100% down with that. I don't, and, and, you know, but I don't know people. if like black exploitation as a genre is, you know, I don't know if it was lightning in a bottle of that time period. I mean, we have like a movie playing off the racial tensions of today might be different than, you know, than during differently flavored than the time period of, of then, but maybe not though, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, but then look at the the recent shaft reboot, which was embarrassing. I never saw, weren't there like two of them? There are three. Oh, geez. The original was Richard Roundtree, right? Right, right. And back in the 90s, there was a remake slash sequel. There were actually three three Shaft movies and a TV series in the 70s. Um, after that, in the 90s, there was a... It was supposed to be a, a remake, but it was actually a sequel featuring Samuel Jackson mm-hmm, as Shaft. Mm-hmm. And the difference between those two films are very, are very, very marked because... Shaft is a human being in the 1972 Shaft, and Shaft is a superhero in the 1990s Shaft. So last year, somebody decided to make another Shaft, just called Shaft, about the son of the Samuel Jackson character. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who it is revealed is, is not the nephew, but the son of the Richard a Roundtree character, which is kind of funny because I think Samuel Jackson is older than Richard Roundtree. <laughs> or their age difference is negligible. Yeah, yeah, that you know, that's funny that you say that because we I just watched um, uh, True Romance with Hair yeah. Metal Hero. Yeah. And Sam Jackson walks through the door and I'm like, ah, oh, young Sam Jackson, he don't look too young. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't. Uh, have you ever seen um, Exorcist Three? I have. I have. I'm trying. I'm trying and to remember. I just a, you just reminded film. me that he was in it, but I don't yes, remember. He yes, he's in the uh, 
the thing I love about Exorcist 3 is that William Peter Bl- there when I was watching it this October for um, the Halloween Horror Fest. Oh, Exorcist 3. I'm sorry. I have not seen Exorcist 3. I thought you were talking oh. about Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Not I've been that. meaning... That's on my list of shame. I've been meaning to watch Exorcist 3. I've heard a lot of great things about it. Oh, it's great. And the thing is, uh, there is a dream sequence where George C. Scott imagines he's in heaven, which is played by Grand Central Station. And... At one point, there's young Samuel Jackson. And even back then, he, st- he looked like he was in his late 20s then. Right, right. And I think when he had his big, uh, his big break, he was entering his, he was in his 30s. So he, he is nearing 70 at this point. You see, it's really funny because I always, I always like. Maybe he is 70. I always think of him and, um, oh, what's the actress for, actor from The Matrix? Keanu Reeves? No, no. Um, who plays? Um, oh, oh, Lawrence Fishburne. L- Lawrence Fishburne, because Lawrence Fishburne and 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 um, Sam Jackson both started getting like, I mean, Lauren, they'd both been around, but they started getting big around the same time. Mm-hmm. So I always sort of pictured them as being peers, and then I always think of Lawrence Fishburne, and I think of him in Apocalypse <laughs> Now, yeah. and looking at him, going like, "Look at that kid! He was like 16 <laughs> years old or something yeah. like that when he was in the movie." Well, so I always think of Samuel him. Jackson being the same age, you know? Yeah. Look at him in uh, uh, Freddy, Freddy, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three. Yeah. Palling around with the with the teenaged uh, Patricia Arquette. Um. But um, Bamber. I'm pretty sure, and I'm going to tell this to all you folks who are thinking, oh, right, right. We don't need another Pam Greer movie. Pam Greer could still kick your ass. And we find out that Pam Greer is, like, with, with Jackie Brown, we find out that she's a fantastic actress, you know? Oh, well, she, yeah, I, I, she always was a fantastic actress. Yeah. It's just that the type of films that she... It's, it, it, it just sort of, like, it kind of sucks for her earlier career because yeah. you go, like, oh, my God, you know... Like, you know, at some point, somebody could have given her a great, decent script, and she could have been winning Oscars, you know? You know how she got different... in the business originally, right? No, I don't. She was the receptionist for New World Pictures. And they needed, a, uh, they needed someone to be in, I think it was the... I think it was the Big Birdcage, I think it's the first of the, uh, of the women in prison pictures. And they asked her, they said, hey, you want to be in this movie and go to the Philippines for a week and a half? And she said, sure. Yeah, and probably the second they put her in front of a camera, the camera lit right up and they yes. were just like, oh, boy. <laughs> there are Because there are people that the camera just yes. loves. And yeah. Ambria is one of them. She's also one of those people that seems totally at ease on camera at all times you know she's she's in the moment and in there and in the earlier in in her earlier movies it's like yeah she's you, you think to yourself or i think to myself she's not the greatest actress you know but and and um but then she's not given much right right and i've always thought it was like ah she's got like presence but she's not the greatest actress but like as a character actor she's mm-hmm phenomenal and of course 
like you know Quentin Tarantino has the eye for that he did the right. same thing with Robert Robert Forster's the same way I'm Robert Forster probably being a man had a few more roles where he got to dig in a little better. He definitely yeah, I mean, like he was in the in black hole. He was in major. He was in a couple of major. Right, but the black hole. His role in the black hole wasn't like you know. He didn't really get to you know. It wasn't a great. It wasn't a a deep or nuanced part. He was just and, like and, the commander. He was good at. He's good at yeah. like he got to do his physical, that physical leading man thing that he does. But mm-hmm. like then when you see Jackie Brown and Breaking Bad and stuff like that and you're just right. like, Oh my god, this guy could hold his this oh, guy yeah. could hold his place with De Niro or something in a scene, you know, and and really work it and then you just think just like you know well, sometimes it takes it takes a while. For, yeah, uh, well that's that's also these really are these are people that are twenty years older or something, <laughs> you know, when they show up in these movies too and they have a little more life under their and they've had time to think about how they would have done th- approached right. things differently, with you know, yeah. So well, well, you look at the work, like for example, that Don Johnson's been doing in the last ten years. Oh, right, true. Where, if you told me back in the '80s when he was, you know, palling around in pastel jackets that he was going to become a very decent actor, I would have laughed at you. Not me. You know why? Why? I'd seen a boy and his dog. So have I. I and, and like I remember seeing a boy and his dog after Miami Vice was out, and I was just like, "Oh my God, this guy was so good! Like, th- like this is so awesome!" And and this is what he goes on to. <laughs> Who would have thought that the best person to play opposite Don Johnson was a little dog? The greatest dog actor ever. in the history of dog oh, actors yes. ever. I love I love that dog. I that's that's I I um I have the the DVD of that movie somewhere and years ago when I got it I was watching it and I watched it with the director's co- or the commentary on it and I'm not sure if it had the director on it or who I I think it did. I think it had um what was it L, LQ Jones on it. Yes, LQ but they, Jones. They're talking about the dog and he's like this dog he's like besides being just like very expressive you know, when when we got him on set, the trainer goes, hey, let's try something different. Let's train the dog to react to Don Johnson <laughs> so that the dog, you know, when when Don Johnson talks, most uh, trained dogs on screen are looking like looking off screen all the right. time because they're looking at their trainer waiting for their right. cues. <laughs> this dog got all its cues from Don Johnson, just like the real dog would. <laughs> and And he's describing that process. And you could hear like, and I'm like, is he choking up? And he's like, that goddamn dog was the best actor I've ever. And, and, and I'm not just saying this because that goddamn dog was the best actor I've ever worked with. Mm-hmm. He did everything right, and he did things that I never would have considered. <laughs> and I was just yeah. like, truly the truly the greatest dog performance ever yes. put on film. But there are people who work in the grindhouse mines who could stand on their own with some of the what we consider the major actors of their mm-hmm. day and i think pam Greer was one of them and thankfully she stuck around long enough that she was able to prove that to people who were not as tapped in to the grindhouse uh scene as we were uh, which do you think is sadder 
if if at all the the people who like were uh, were like oscar winning actors who like eventually through whatever reason be it personal foibles or whatever mm-hmm. ended up in the grindhouse movies or the people in the grindhouse movies who should have been oscar actors but just never got a script or got a chance maybe that's where they learned all their oscar worthy acting was all the yeah. all the good actors who were like alcoholics and couldn't get jobs anywhere else and stuff i i i really could not i mean depends on i have taken a case-by-case basis yeah but that's true you have people like um you know people like pam greer who people discovered and said hey or uh, what's his name? The one, another one of Tarantino's favorite actors, uh, who plays the sheriff in a couple of his films. Oh, um, you know what I'm talking about? He has two roles in Kill Bill. What, isn't it that he? Uh, it's it's I, one of I, the actors I, from the Dukes of Hazard, right? I don't remember. Oh, I can't remember. Not, I don't know if it's Tom Wopat or the other guy. He was. Oh the, no, no, not Tom. Not not not. No, 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 no. Um. There is an actor, the actor who played, uh, he was the sheriff in the Kill Bill films, um, the, the two Grindhouse pictures, he's in, he's, he plays the same character, and he plays it in one other area, one other place, and he's really, really good, he also, was also in Tusk. Oh and, yes, you know I know I'm, exactly who you mean. You know who I'm talking about. Yes, some, and he was in uh, he was in the the other uh, Red State too. Red State, yes. Here's, yes, and 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 Kevin Smith in Red State gave him some Quentin Tarantino dialogue to <laughs> to deliver that was fa- I mean he's fantastic at that stuff. Yeah. But then you see people like oh, I don't know Joan Crawford. Is Joan, what, oh yeah, is what I was thinking of. Who was like, you know, A list, B list, Ega, you know? Yeah, and, and oh, I was I was thinking more of people like, um, you know, like George Kennedy, who we talked about. Oh, in, George Kennedy, yeah. In the uh, the Greg and Clark episode, um, the he. This was a, a Academy Award winning actor. And uh, during the end of his life, I mean, I will give him this much credit, though. He gave it his all. And no, no he didn't half ass it. The, yeah. Yeah. No matter how crappy the film is, it's not like, uh, or like Nick, Nick Adams, who was in, uh, I think he was in Giant. And he was a big deal here in the, during the 50s. Mm-hmm. And he lives out his, he lives out the twilight of his life doing Toho movies. Yep, I I always forget it's a job for those people. Yeah, and and the reality of the job, and then the finished movie are different things mm-hmm. to them. So, you know, it, a lot of times I think, and from from my experience in working on other people's films in various capacities, the experience of doing it is the one you remember. Right. You know, that's I saw an interview with Cronenberg recently, and he's like, I never. He's like, I've seen, you know, I see my movies once in a while because I have to come and do screenings of them. But I usually leave during the screenings because I can't watch them as a, I cannot watch them as a movie. The, the experience of doing them and what was going on at the set is what I see when I see them. And 
That's what I relate. That's how right. I relate to all the movies. If someone asks me what my favorite movies are, I'm going to tell them what my favorite experience, you know, my best time I had on set making the movie right. rather than the actual finished product. And Well, and it's the like equivalent that. of a musician who can't listen to music for, for relaxation anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you can play it like, for relaxation, but... Yeah, or, you know, as a writer, it is sometimes hard for me to remove myself, my writer instinct, when I'm looking at a movie or a mm -hmm. reading book. Mm -hmm. Because I'd be like, that, if I did, if we did this and that instead of that, it would have made more sense. Yeah. You start, you start thinking like... Like the artist, no. not not as not as a, right. a consumer. That's that's my judge of like when when a movie really fails for me, because I'm a sucker. I'm yeah. I am a I'm an all day sucker mm -hmm. for, for media. If you put me in a dark theater and play a movie, it can be about anything. I I my mind is prone towards mm -hmm. following that story liking the characters even if it's like the most vapid rom-com movie or whatever mm -hmm. you know my brain is set up to 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 consume it afterwards i might go like wow that was a piece of crap or whatever but while and i might even think that a little but i like but when a movie really fails mm -hmm. and i'm sitting there and like if the script is especially egregious like especially egregious it doesn't happen with hollywood movies as much but sometimes mm -hmm. it does. Right. I will almost I will see have the script pictured in my mind mm -hmm. and see the dialogue written out. And then sometimes my then once I start getting into that mode and I've lost my yeah. my uh, imagination to it, I start seeing I start picturing in my head, you know, the fat, sweaty sound guy holding the boom yeah. mic in the back and chewing a sandwich while he's watching the scene go on and, and yet trying to funny. figure out where the lights are and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And yet it's funny. Uh, I could watch a big budget film and my mind could start wandering and I'll start rewriting the script. while yeah. I'm watching But I watch something like Dolomite or this. Where I mean, Dolomite, you see fucking boom mics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you're watching Dolomite. How but, would you know what to change in Dolomite yeah. to make it better? It's so happy. So invested in the in this story, as bizarre as it is, that you're along for the ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're too busy trying to figure out what the hell is going on, yeah. besides than trying to figure out how to improve it and. And at that point, you're, you're like, why improve upon something <laughs> yeah, as fresh as this, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, once again, there are there, there's that, that group of people, and Rudy Ray Moore is one of them. And to speak of somebody that's more um, recent, somebody like Neil Breen is one of them, where <laughs> the man want them, they want to make movies, they don't give a shit. If no. it's commercial or not, they only care about sharing their view of the world. Here's here's the thing. They might even think it's commercial. He oh, might I care if... Neil Breen thinks that he's a superstar. Right, right. He might be like, this is... Look, I'm combining all the elements of a blockbuster, but they live in a different dimension. Yes. And at the same time, living in that dimension and writing a script like that 
and having that vision makes mm-hmm. the the probability of your movie being able to be made in any way shape or form almost zero almost impossible so when these guys come out with completed movie in Breen's case completed movie after completed movie after completed movie no matter how shabby they are i mean if they were just something he was just but when you see them you're like this guy had an idea yeah. he wrote a script he has he has idea he knows what's going what's supposed to be going on in this ain't nobody like even if he Oswald. explains it we're not going to know but there it is and it's you know that's priceless it's a view into some place right. that you could you would not imagine yourself you could not imagine <laughs> and you, you still might not hear, even uh, understand it did you ever hear the Patton Oswald uh, routine about the, about deathbed the bed that eats yes <laughs> I imagine that Neil Breen has this as a similar sort of thought process mm-hmm well with well with deathbed the bed that eats at least I, I don't remember if he brings up this possibility and I, I just remember him it was the general thing was like somebody had to sit in a room and go like look look this is <laughs> this is the idea it's a bed but it eats <laughs> yes. but in 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 those days especially mm-hmm. there were a lot of you know sometimes movies were money laundering schemes <laughs> so it doesn't matter so that the period we're talking about here the period the, the greenhouse period which was basically the golden age is from the the 60s through the end of the 90s Basically, the end of the their direct to direct to video, direct to VHS title. Um, there were loads of distributors who were just looking for product. Right, Man. right. So something to fill time in a theater. If they if you're yeah. putting sixteen hours of movies in in Times Square, who cares if one of them's the bed that eats the eats? Right. <laughs> Neil Breen was born 30 years earlier and he was making his movies in the eight, in the 70 late 70s early 80s he would have gotten theatrical distribution oh dude if jo- Doris Wishman was making movies that that, yeah. that played in a theater yeah Neil Breen I mean people are like and nah it's too weird yeah. make movies that were that were sh- shown in theaters yeah so, so but um do you want to see, if you really want to see an example of one of the reasons why I think Pam Greer persevered as long as she did, as long as she has, try to find a film called The Twilight People, which I think was made around the same time as Black Mama, White Mama. It's another Filipino-made film. I think it's even also directed by uh, Black Mama's, White Mama's director, Eddie Romero. It's a cheesy take on the island of Dr. Moreau. Ooh. And Pam Greer plays a panther woman. Ooh. And at, she has no dialogue. But at one point, she gets turned on by catnip. Oh. And she oh. commits to this. Oh. It's probably the stupidest scene I think she has ever done. But you can tell she's committed a hundred percent. 
I wonder if like, you know, leading up to the to shooting, she was just like bringing home catnip every night and like giving it to her cat and studying it. I don't know, but you can see that she is down for this scene. <laughs> and it, it's, a, cause it, it's, a, it's a terrible movie. It is, it is damn near unwatchable. But she is committed to playing the best panther woman she's ever, that's ever been on the screen. Well, you know, I mean, and as, as I was saying, from being in any any cut, well, actually on film shoots on anything, mm-hmm. being in bands and stuff and seeing other people uh, doing things where, where you need people to perform, there is a type of person, you know, who it, it's, you know, it's almost like a workman-like attitude mm-hmm. where they're like, I'm here, you know, whether I'm even happy, you know, the thing about like film shoots is film shoots suck. Right. You're usually in a bad atmosphere, uncomfortable atmosphere, like physically, you know, or, you know, it's cold or whatever. You're just sitting around for a long time. You're bored. It's it's a pay, you have hot lights on you or whatever. It, it just generally kind of it's not very it's not pleasant. So like but there's per- people who just are like, I'm here. This is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I might as well do it. It's going right. on film forever. Why would you want it? Even if you're doing the shittiest movie ever made, you're putting that on film. I you don't might as well. It. You might as well make it count, no matter if it's fucking, you know, um, Stanley Kubrick directing you or or Joe D'Amato. <laughs> you know. Right. I don't know, man. You look at the last 25 years of Cameron Mitchell's career. That man made phoning it in an art. That, Cam, the, the Cameron Mitchells of the world, the the uh, and and there's a lot of you know actors who are like that and and you know I mean Cameron Mitchell there was I I'm imagining you know like Bella Lugosi there was probably right. or, you know there's a little alcohol going on mm-hmm. Cameron Mitchell for sure you know just get me some place, something where I can sit down. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got me for one day and I have to be seated the whole time. That at, at, at a certain point, if you're like, uh, I mean, Cameron Mitchell was a decent actor, mm. you know, was a, just sort of a standard action character actor at his time. And then, right. then he didn't have a crashing fall, <laughs> but right. it was a steady decline downhill. But at a certain point, I guess, if you're just sort of a, a, an alcoholic actor that's unable to perform as well, why not just try to see? <laughs> right. And, 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 and once you get that bad in the phoning it in part, now you've got a whole audience of people who are going to, like, if they see your name on that video box, they're going to get it because they're going to be like, they all right, see let's see how he phoned it in in this yeah. one. Could he possibly phone it in more? Mm-hmm. What What's the year on this? What What phase of phoning it in is it? You know, yes. so it you know it, it has its whole other whole other thing. You know, I mean, Wizzo sort of embraced his, you know, the the mockery that or you know right. the, the people liking him on an ironic level and and used it to his advantage. And that's showbiz too. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff that's working for you, don't argue with it. You can either lean into it or deny it. And I'm willing to bet that Neil Breen denies to to his to every waking day 
that he is the, the uh, target of ridicule. It's like, people are getting it. There are people out there who are getting my message. Who's, yeah, nobody's, I wouldn't ridicule him to his face either. Uh, no, because I'm af- I'd be afraid. He looks like the kind of guy who's drunk and will punch you. Yeah. <laughs> That's all there is to it, you know. And remember, he, he's, he's located in Vegas, so he might know some people. And he's the kind of guy that, like, if 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 maybe he didn't have acting as an outlet, he kind of looks apart. He could have probably turned into like Jim Jones or something like that yeah. if he if he didn't have. He looks like Jones. From that's what I'm saying. That's what yeah. I'm saying. You know, throw some sunglasses on him, and there you go. So we've gone far afield. <laughs> kind, not really, kind of. Uh, yeah. But There's... would you recommend people watch the arena? I would not strong like I would strongly recommend it if you're a Pam Greer f- fan. If you're like a fan of Roman epics, you're probably going to be disappointed. You know, mm-hmm. big large budget Roman epics. But if you're looking for if you're looking for Pam Greer mm-hmm. and in a unique setting and yeah, I would, I would, in general, yeah, for the people who are listening to this podcast, yeah, yeah, for sure, I would recommend this, because it's, it is just, it's high quality, you know, this is, this is a, like an MST3K level, this is just, it's, it's a good, entertaining, solid mm-hmm. movie with naked ladies in it. Oh, I could see, especially the, the Mike Nelson era, uh, tearing this a new one. And there's some naked, there's some naked yep. male gladiator butt in yep. it too, if I recall right. I think Deviated Septimus. Uh, yes. Let's it all hang out at some point. So. So yes, I would recommend it as well. I'm, because, but then again, I am a major mark for Pam Greer, and a major mark for black exploitation cinema, which this kind of sort of slots into an aside. Sort way, of. Sort of way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, um, let's see, I think we're going to go to China. Ooh, back to China. Back to China, yes. Last time we went to China, uh, it was kind of wacky, if you remember, because we, we saw Fantasy Mission Force. So you're 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 bringing in something um, just more mainstream then is is that what you're you're getting at? Let's say a different kind of whack. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going as suggested by Tom Carnell. We are going to watch the Crippled Master. Oh. On oh, uh, on my list big time. Okay. I just. Recently got a copy of um, um, uh, John Waters' book that I used to have, but I don't know what happened to my copy of it. I re- it's uh, uh, called um, no, it's not Shock Value. It's um, Crackpot. Okay. It's just a collection of essays he wrote over the years, and uh, he he singles out that movie, <laughs> and there is just one of his favorites. He's just like oh. You know, and if you really want to see a good one, go see Crippled Masters, where you know, (laughs) 
you know, you have one who's, you know, real amputee featuring yes. real amputees. And, and I, and I remember that, that the, uh, psychotronic guide to film singled mm-hmm. this one out as being particularly, uh, bizarre and, and, and I think they were a little bit prissy about it in the, yeah. in the, and were like, this is kind of like rude and exploitative, but mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I am down for the, uh, Chopsaki amputee movie. There you go. So get your Chopsaki on and come back here in a month. It's literally chopped, yeah. so- chopped, Change to something more befitting your human worm persona and go! Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Wins.